Hello, hello, hello. This is Tooth Be Toe. This is Dr. Walter Aka. All right. This is Leroy Horton. This is Kingsley Effetti. Oh, man. So we are so honored and blessed to have uh, Kingsley on today. Uh, you know, when you're a dentist, you know a lot about dentistry, but very little about how to manage offices, how to basically manage money, you know. And and right now we were just talking off offline here that, you know, generational wealth has become a buzzword. Everybody's talking about generational wealth when it comes to real estate, when it comes to investing and stuff like that. And I think the one thing that I know is I I can't live without my accountant. I actually just emailed him today. I said, Hey, I'm about to get, I'm getting all these taxes, you know, uh, property tax. I'm getting taxes for this. And what do I need to write off from my business? What do I need to write off? Like anytime I have a question that is going to prevent me from getting in trouble with the IRS, that's the person I contact. So I contact him a lot and it just happens that he's also a family friend. So that helps, you know? (laughs) So can can we first start by saying how dope it is that we got two brothers out there killing the game and not just brothers as in melanated brothers, but brothers, brothers, because we just talked to your brother uh, and now we got you on a week later. And I I just want to applaud both of you for the work that you're doing um, and, and the example in the community that you guys are setting um and so yeah i mean we can get back to the question i just want to maybe put that give those roses and those flowers out there right off the bat that's yes, it sir. that's well it. Received. well received yes sir you know and and, and they, they they both they're both on there together working hard doing their podcast they're they're doing a lot so when i say that this man is you know it was a pleasure to try to get him on i mean that like it was tough <laughs> You know, he's a busy guy. He's a busy guy, but he made time for us tonight. So let's not waste his time. Let's just go ahead and dive in. And, 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 you know, Kingsley, can you please just kind of introduce yourself and how you became affiliated with being uh, a dental uh, CPA? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like I said, my name is Kingsley Fetty. Um, I'm, I'm a dental CPA uh, located here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, pretty much, you know, the path to, uh, I would say first becoming a CPA, then, get into the dentistry side of things. Uh, you know, obviously CPAs typically go to school, do undergrad. Typically, a lot of CPAs go and get the master's. So I went ahead and got my master's in accountancy, uh, which really got the ball rolling. Um, after that, I obviously went in and, and sat and sat with the board to go ahead and get that CPA. But I always knew I wanted to be around um, not just the everyday tax uh, uh, type of CPA, but I wanted to build relationships. I wanted to build relationships. Um, so my, my brother that uh, uh, that that was on last episode, Dr. Jermaine Fetty, um, when he opened his practice here in Charlotte Empire Dental Group, um, he said, hey, Kingsley, you know, I want to make sure that you are one of the first uh, key founders of what we have going on here. And I was actually his first office manager. Um, so pretty much from, you know, insurance verifications, checking uh, patients in, um, doing all of the consent forms, et cetera, et cetera, even to a point, right? Looking over treatment plans, looking at the financials, really gave me a really deep insight on the world of dentistry um, and really just saw the way that money moves around a dental office and in, 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 in a, in a dental practice. Um, so pretty much, like I said, I wanted to blend the financial CPA background with the practice and the and the, and the healthcare part, um, the psychology of money, the psychology of patients, and just pretty much blend it all together to pretty much help uh, dental professionals maximize their their profession. Okay, now tell me because it, there's it's a little bit nuanced, right? What is the difference between what most offices will have, which is a bookkeeper? Exactly. And then a CPA that comes in maybe quarterly to kind of tighten up the financials and do the taxes at the end of the year. What's the difference between a bookkeeper and an actual CPA? Yeah, great, great question. Um, So bookkeeper is legit going to just keep your books. So your books, and we you can call any fancy thing you want, is typically keeping your accounting records. So basically, every time you go to the bank, you swipe your card as a business owner, a 1099 practice owner, you need to keep records because Every, you know, every year you need to be able to have a profit and loss and a balance sheet. What that's going to do is help you during tax time. Um, But what me and and what I believe as a dental CPA is your your profit and loss statement, right? That's telling you what what money came in and what money came out, right? Your balance sheet is telling you what you own, right? Assets, what you owe, liabilities, whatever is left over is equity. I don't believe that that should just be a tax time conversation. I believe that that should drive your decision making as a practice owner. Um, because it's kind of like driving a car at night without headlights. You can you can do it, but you're, you're kind of driving blind. You don't know what your collections are. You don't know what, um, you know, you don't know what you're producing versus what you're collecting on. I mean, 
you know, you can have a million dollar practice in production, but only collecting on 700,000, that's $300,000 mm-hmm. that you think you need to do more marketing, but you just need to get better at collecting money. Right. So the, the financials are, are, are there to help you kind of navigate the day to day, not just, okay, during tax time, I need to give this to my CPA. So long story short, biggest difference between a bookkeeper and a CPA bookkeeper is just going to be giving you the monthly profit and loss and a monthly balance sheet. They're typically not going to be giving you, you know, any tax advice, um, any legal advice. They're typically not going to be the ones to um, build the long-term, I would say, holistic relationship. I would maybe compare it to maybe a hygienist versus, you know, the doctor that comes in, right? They both have a part in the overall oral health, but, you know, the functions are slightly different there. Okay. okay. You know, what I want to do is I want to just kind of do a chronologic order of importance and and basically okay. how would we use your service as we per, you know matriculate through um from dental school all the way through uh practice ownership. So let's just start as a dental student, right? We have a lot of debt. We ba- we barely make any money to live off of. Like the, the school will give you something aka your loans will pay you to live off of that, right? Yeah. Why would anybody or would a dental um, student need a CPA? Yeah. So my, my rule of thumb is, you know, obviously early on in your career um, versus later on in your career, you, you'll need certain things financially. Um, but my rule of thumb is, you know, you're, you know, as a D4 living on ramen noodles half the time, right? Typically going out with the bros, with the gals, hanging out. But just in a few weeks, your your income jumps and your tax brackets jump overnight um so it's one of those things where yeah you could continue to turbo tax your way through it but you know you go from you know maybe coming from a background or family that didn't really have much to now you're making you know 150 180 200 you do want somebody to kind of look over your shoulders even if you do turbo tax it um what i would say typically with dental students um not not just the not just having a CPA just from the standpoint of filing taxes, even if you file your taxes, have, having a CPA review your taxes because the more income you get, the more tax brackets you jump, the more likely you are for IRS audits. And we all know taxes, just like anything, is very tricky, right? Everybody probably has is, is, is missed a, a decimal or done something, right? You know, at the end of the day, you, you still want a CPA looking over your shoulder to make sure you're doing things right because now you're getting into much, I would say, muddy waters because you're no longer a student, right? You're a professional that's making... A, a real, a real living for yourself. Um, so even, I, even, even if it's like a, a just a W two, no uh, dependencies or anything at all, you'd still would say, hey, have a, a tax expert evaluate your 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 income. Yeah. So I I would say to to your point, kind of a two prong approach. Number one, yes, have a have a tax professional review it. Um, reason being, there could be credits and deductions that you're already missing as a W two, right? I mean. We all know how the tax right. Well, some of us may know how the tax practice work, right? The more money you make, the more the more percentage you pay on that same income. Um, so you don't want to miss out on credits and deductions because you're pretty much you're already in a high tax bracket. So we do want to make sure that you have somebody looking over you because you don't want to end up, you know, overpaying in that. Now, the second prong approach, uh, like I was saying before, is at the end of the day, you now that you have disposable income and we're not going to get in. I wouldn't go and get into this too much tonight, but you have more disposable income to invest, right? There may be investments that are tax advantaged um, to be able to even offset some of your W-2 income that now you could be getting some of the money that they already took out of your taxes back during tax time because you have a CPA saying, Hey, you know, you have a hundred thousand dollars cash. Now, instead of shoveling hundred thousand dollars into your student loans, let's go on and put 60,000 of that towards some type of asset property or something like that see how we can reduce your w-2 income do some different things like that okay so if i'm hearing you correct you do want to start seeing these uh you know young students soon to be graduates early how does that relationship form or start do they come to you and say hey i'm about to graduate and you do a consultation and you kind of stay with them and then you do an official charged service or at what point is the relationship transactional in the traditional manner of they're going to have to start paying you for your advice. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. So pretty much what I would say with, with any, when any good CPA, just, you know, baseline, this, this is not unique to me. You know, whenever you do visit that, that CPA once a year during tax time, that gives that CPA now a chance to look a little bit deeper. Um, and, and, and what I mean by that is Typically, your CPA is going to have a very close relationship as you progress as a dental professional. Um, so 
even if it's just that one time a year now, next year is two times a year. And then the year after that, right now you're thinking about, okay, I'm starting to get my hand speed. Maybe I want to kind of, you know, dip a little bit in multiple office. Cause my, you know, maybe I want to do a little bit on the side, 1099. And then you've already built that relationship. You've already built that trust. I'm always say, you know, a CPA is, is pretty much as intimate as your doctor, right? We know things about you that even sometimes your spouse does not know. Right. So you don't, right. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people become like, don't tell my wife. I'm like, <laughs> if y'all following jointly, this is y'all doing it together. So the earlier you start that relationship, you build that trust, you build that rapport, just like when you've been going to the same doctor for five years, it's just a more natural relationship and you're able to be more honest with that, with that professional. Yeah. So what, so when do you want them coming to you right after they graduate? So you can start guiding and advising them and then you got them towards tax time. And when's the best time to approach you? Yeah, I, I would say right right out of school. And, and the reason being is never too early, um, especially for those professionals that are not looking to be in W-2 forever, um, especially for those. I mean, if, you, if you're if you doing, you know, one W-2 a year, you know, typ typically your finances are pretty straightforward, maybe no dependents, you know, nothing too crazy going on. Maybe you can get by with, you know, figuring it out yourself, you know, but for those professionals that's thinking, okay, what can I do, um, you know, maybe practice ownership, maybe travel dentistry. Um, you know, maybe, you know, I'm filing joint now. My my wife or my spouse has some situations going on. Maybe it's time to start engaging. But I would say, I mean, it's nothing wrong um, in, in coming, you know, right out of school and you know, visiting okay. your CPA. Yeah. So, you know, here's a question that so we've, we've gotten out of school. We graduated, thank God. Right. And we're making money now. We're all excited. We're happy. You know, we, we, we're, we're starting to see some the fruits of our labor. You get married. Right. Yep. You start dating somebody. You're like, OK, they see you. OK, they did well. I waited for them. Now let's yep. get married. We got married. When is it a good idea to file jointly versus when is it not a good idea to file jointly? Is it ever not a good idea to file jointly? Yeah. So great question. What I always say as a general rule, right, because when it comes to accounting, anything legal, we have general rules and we have ex exceptions. General rule is always better to file jointly. Um, reason being, not only do you get a higher something called a standard deduction, which will help decrease your taxes, but when you file separate, the government actually takes a, away a lot of credits and deductions that if you were to file jointly, meaning the, the government is, is essentially trying to encourage people to file jointly. Um, it's nothing illegal with filing separate, right? They, they have that as an option for a reason, um, but they do want to encourage people to do that because right, the government believes in the family structure. Um, but like I said, they do take away some credits and deductions if you do file separately. And it's, it's it's a few other things that they do. Now, the situation that I see people filing separately, let's just say that one person has a lot of debt. Maybe they don't want to commingle funds. Maybe there's some type of prenuptial agreement in place. Um, another one that I see is, um, you know, maybe they're just not on the same page financially for whatever reason. I always don't recommend it, but I do know that there are cases in which it's necessary or maybe just financially, they, they just don't want to commingle. Um, so either way, we, we always handle it, you know, the, the best case scenario, whatever they, they want to do. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so for the public that I, cause I always hear these uh, people getting these terms mixed up. Mm -hmm. I've heard plenty of people say, oh, you bought a new CT machine. Great. Uh, you know, it's a tax write-off. I mean, it was pretty much free, right? Mm -hmm. Can you give the definition of what a tax credit versus tax deduction is and um, maybe some general examples of, of each of those? Gotcha. Gotcha. Great, great question. So tax write-off, tax deduction, um, business expense, those are all typically going to be used as the same word. Um, all that is, is the government essentially saying... You as a business owner, you and this is typically applying. And right now we're talking more on a business owners. Typically, you find some type of business return, 1099 contractor. You get deductions, different tax write-offs. Now, there are some that are available for individuals as well, but let's just talk about the business because it's a little easier to conceptualize. With a with a deduction or a business write-off and expense, typically you go make your income, right? Whatever you go spend as far as, let's say that you're buying a new machine, you're buying dental equipment, maybe you need to send something off to the lab, right? It's lab fees involved. Whatever you spend um, now becomes a business write-off, meaning that if you make $100,000 $100, you know, as, as a, a dental practice owner and you go and you spend $60,000 in expenses to run your dental practice, there's $40,000 left over. Now, that $40,000 is the only money that the government's going to tax because how can they tax money that you've already spent? 
Do you know what I mean? So they don't tax you on revenue, right? Or collections, right? That's typically the top line. They tax you on revenue or collections minus expenses and whatever is left over, right? We call profit. That's typically what you'd be getting taxed on. Now, that's what I just explained as a deduction. Now, a credit is slightly different. A credit is dollar for dollar. So typically what ends up happening is in the equation that I just gave, right? We have revenue collections minus all the different eligible expenses, write-offs, deductions, whatever you want to call it, equals your profit, right? Now, at this point, that's when credits now come into the play. So credits aren't necessarily, they're not necessarily subtracting your income. They're giving you a dollar for dollar um, amount towards the tax bill. For instance, right? right? And this is like giving an accounting level, uh, you know, uh, masses <laughs> in, in, in 30 seconds. But you have your $100,000 of, of collections. You have your $60,000 in business expenses. You have $40,000 left over. Let's say for whatever reason, you know, you'll say you're in a 10% tax bracket. So you get a 10% tax applied. You have a $4,000 tax bill. Now, at this point, if you have a $5,000 credit, okay, let's think about it. You have $4,000 tax bill, you have a $5,000 credit. Typically, and depending what type of credit, that $1,000 difference that they're crediting to your account can be refunded back to you in a way, yeah. right? right? Or let's just say it's a $3,000 credit, you might owe $1,000. So it, it's for credit. Right. Exactly, exactly. So credits and deductions are slightly, a, it's a little bit, I guess it could it could get misconstrued, but for the most part, they have two different functions and they come in two different places of pretty much the whole entire formula. So okay, not help oh, this. Yeah. Does, does no, that help? Well, no. So I was actually kind of on the same line. You know, you go on online, and and one thing that we try to do on this podcast is we try to basically squash everybody's hopes and dreams uh, <laughs> about being an influ influencer. We we. We hate that. We hate that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, um, you go online and you see a lot of people talking about, oh, you know, if you get if you get a G wagon, you can yeah. write off this and do all that. Can you explain to us and just finally put that to rest? Like how that whole, you know, I think what is it? Is it 60k or 60,000 yeah. in weight and all? Can you explain all that so that people stop listening to these influencers and start listening to the professionals? Explain so that whole credit and all that stuff when it comes to the G wagon and all these, you know, write offs in that way. Gotcha. So I'm I'm going to use I'm I'm not on the clinical side, but I'm going to try to use a clinical joke. Uh -oh. It's like the equivalent of thinking that veneers will solve your oral health. <laughs> it's, it's like fixing the, the 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 look of it, but but it's still underlying the disease and all. Right. This. Oh. Okay. So meaning what 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 I'm trying to say with that is everything that it, when it comes to taxes and all these things you see online are they illegal are they wrong typically not but they will apply to certain circumstances um it, it, there's literally no legal or tax advice that anybody can give that will apply to you apply to me and apply to the dental student that's coming out a year one it's, it's all circumstantial i um, mean and that's why us accountants we always have a joke that it always depends because it's, it's reality um, now, as far as the, the, the vehicle, purchasing a vehicle, where, where that came about was back in 2017, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, Donald Trump, right? We all we all know him, introduced this tax bill that was really favorable to business owners. Um, his belief was, you know, if we encourage business owners to spend more, to do more, to write the economy will grow. So there was a caveat, something called bonus depreciation, in which what they said was certain vehicles over 6,000 pounds um, you'd be able to expense the whole entire vehicle in year one. So the thing about when you buy any type of asset, whether that's a building, whether that's a car, that, that, that CBCT machine, whatever it is, you can't expense it all in year one. Meaning if you make $100,000, right? And let's just say that the CBC machine costs $80,000. If it, if you, mm, let me use a better example. Let's say you make $100,000, right? And you have the CBC team that CBC team, uh, CB, get my words mixed up. Yeah, CBCT, yeah. <laughs> that that costs $50,000. Right. Typically depreciate equipment over five years. So meaning each year from today, from the first year to the fifth year, you take a $10,000 tax deduction for the next five years. That's called depreciation, right? That's that's the 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 bare bones basics, meaning each year you legally have to take $10,000 for the next five years. What the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act effectively did was decrease the lifespan in which you can depreciate it. 
And they said, instead of you waiting five years and you taking a $10,000 deduction each year, right? We're going to let you take the whole $50,000 deduction this year, which effectively helped people decrease their taxes quickly, uh, quickly. Um, now, it may not seem like that big of a deal. I mean, but when you think about, you know, buying a $100,000 vehicle and you have $100,000 worth of income, that's the difference between you, you know, if you spread that over five years, that's the difference between your profit being, um, say, five divided by 100, 20, 20. That, okay, that's the difference between your profit being 80,000 and your profit being zero. Meaning if your profit is zero, you pay zero dollars in tax that year. If your profit is 80,000, you're still paying a buttload of taxes, right? So that really helped, I guess, spur economic growth mm. but with everything right it all depends depending on your specific situations and circumstances yeah right but let, yeah. but let me ask you this because a lot of those things get um announced and how can a dentist that owns a dental office justify that a g-wagon is a work vehicle <laughs> how dare you i justify that every day <laughs> <laughs> well 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 i, I okay I'll say this. I'm kidding. When, kidding. It, when, when it comes to any write-off, when it comes to any write-off, right, right, there's typically two tests. Is it ordinary and is it necessary? Hmm. How I like to define it, is it ordinary? Meaning in your trade, in your, in your business, is it ordinary to have a vehicle? Yes. You know, when you're running a dental practice, you have to drive to work. I mean, you can't, you know, nobody's riding a horseback. Um, and is it necessary? If I had five G wagons, it's probably not necessary. If I had one G wagon, we can, we can, we can argue why, why that's necessary, right? Um, you as a dentist, right? You're, you're typically going to visit, you know, maybe uh, uh, other other practice owners. Maybe you're doing different deals. You know, you don't want to ride in a Nissan, right? And there's no knock to Nissan. Whoa, right? whoa, 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 whoa! <laughs> How dare you? Whoa! Well, no, 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 not to Nissans out there. But you want to, you want to be able to put on a, a, yeah. a, pre a good presentation. Um, now, with, with anything, when it comes to the tax side. The IRS always try to distinguish between what is business and what is personal, mm -hmm. meaning you might not be able to write off the whole G wagon because only 50 percent of it is used for going to the uh, uh, to the practice, going to Costco's to pick up supplies, doing this and doing that. It might only be used 50 percent. So I guess I guess to your point. Right. It is kind of difficult to justify why you need it 100 percent for business, you know, but we, we have some ratios that, that we like to kind of talk about when it comes to that right and the only reason i ask is you know because when you grow up in certain areas there's a lot of hustlers right yeah everybody starts a business and all of a sudden they write off everything every mm -hmm. time you go out to eat oh let me get your receipts let me get your receipts i'm gonna write these yeah. off right so there's a lot of people that could potentially get themselves in trouble if they ever get audited because audited because you do have to justify your purchases as you said as being ordinary and necessary Sure. Um, do you or have you seen people kind of fall into those traps of maybe getting a bad advice from the wrong people and kind of going ham on some of these practices? Well, well, I know we experience it in the accounting world. I'm sure you experience it in the, in the dentistry world. Once everybody wants veneers, right? Nobody wants to really, you know, I want to see how I can do the work. Let me just, you know, so obviously with the TikTok culture, with the social media culture, there's a lot of information out there that's just not always accurate. Um, but to to your point. I, I will probably divide that into, into two different answers there. The first one being a lot of times when it comes to writing everything off, um, what ends up happening is when you're going for financing, you know, you're trying to purchase that vehicle, you're trying to purchase that house. Uh, maybe, you know, you're a, a dental practice or excuse me, a dental professional. Maybe you're looking to buy a practice. All of these different institutions are going to want to look at the tax returns, you know, and if you're saying that you made $150,000 last year, but you wrote off one hundred and sixty. Or even if you, you know what I mean? It's just, right. they're looking at the bottom line. They don't care how much you brought in. They care about how much you have to, to pretty much live your life on, right? The, that bottom line. So long story short, yeah, you can play the game and, and try to figure out how you can wiggle around and do all of this stuff. But at the end of the day, when it comes to you trying to progress, get financing, move up to the next level in your career, you're going to be stifled. And that happens so many times. You know, especially when it when it comes to home ownership, because that's always what they want. They want last tax you uh, last two years of tax returns always right um and then number two right and all of this is with the assumption that it is already ordinary and necessary is what we're already kind of um getting to that yeah yeah so okay. here's another thing too that a lot of people kind of ask questions about mm -hmm. i just got a job right so i got out i got a job you know i'm so happy i'm finally being i'm a dentist right i can put the doctor in my name and i'm excited about life and the owner comes to me and says well how would you like to do this? Would you like to be a W-2 yep. or a 1099? Yep. 
which one is better and which one is more beneficial from a tax point of point of view. And, and, and you can't say depends. And you, well, <laughs> you, have to give, you have to give us something. <laughs> well, okay. What I would say is when we first start dealing with a client, we always just try to assess what type of client this is. Are they risk adverse? Are they, do they, do they love stability? What is their risk tolerance? What, what type of lifestyle do they want to create? Um, and then it goes back to what you just said. It depends from there. But the long story short, the biggest thing about it is just understanding the pros and cons of each. Then you make your decision based off of what do you like at a life? Do you like comfort? Do you mind being uncomfortable? Let's just start with a W-2 because that's the easiest to understand. We've all worked summer jobs. You know, we, we've all we, we've, we've all been on the W-2 employee side. Um, so as a W-2 employee, and, and really before I even get down to differences, the biggest difference when it comes to taxes is the order in which you are taxed, um, which, which changes a lot. So as a W-2 employee, we all know before you get that check, especially when you when it was your first job, before you ever got that check, you're thinking, you, you calculate what you're about to go buy tomorrow. You calculate when you're about to go with your, with your boo thing. You're like, yo, I, I did X amount of hours. I should be paid $1,000 this paycheck. And then you get it and it says 700. And you're like, what just happened? I mean, somebody must have calculated something wrong. But we all know those those big four letters, FICA, right? Mm -hmm. uh, typically, insurance, I mean, excuse me, typically uh, Social Security, Medicare is already taken out of your taxes. On top of that, federal and state tax withholdings. So when it's all said and done, that $1,000 check that you're getting, you might only see 700 of it. And then at that point, that's the money that you go take and you go live your life. You go buy your groceries, you go buy, buy what you need to buy, right? So it's tax first, then you get income, then you go spend money. But as a 1099 or a business owner, right, we, we group those into the same tax category. And instead, what the IRS says is, wait, wait, wait. Before we tax you, we're going we're to we're change the order a little bit. We're going to let you go get your income first. So we're not going to tax you first. We're going to let you make all the income that you make for the year. Then we're going to let you go spend all the money that you can. Right. We want to encourage spending the government. Uh, follow, follow the incentives. I'm going to encourage you to go spend as much as you can, because that keeps the economy revolving. Right. And, and like I said, ordinary, necessary expenses. Right. And then whatever is left over, if there's anything left over, then we'll take tax out of that. So long story short, what it, what ends up happening is, you know, as a W-2 employee, you might not, you never might never see that money. That money is already sent to the IRS before you even get it. As a dub, as a 1099, you can you can move you can move things around a little bit more because maybe you say this year, hmm, you know, my vehicle is getting kind of old and I have to keep going to the practice every day at 6 a.m. Maybe I need to upgrade, right? And now that be becomes partly deductible, right? And it helps you pay less tax. Now, that was kind of just the differences there. We all know typically W-2 employees, you get all the benefits, you know, 401k match, you know, you get uh six, six pay, you get all these different benefits. Typically 1099 contract, the business owner, you're on your own. There's nobody taking any taxes out. Um, There's no benefits typically like that. But on the flip side, you know, especially for those, you know, uh, locum tenums and things like that, you're typically going to get your check in gross amounts, which are going to be bigger amounts. Mm -hmm. Um, But with much, right. Um, with much, uh, um, it's just going to require much more responsibility of you now making sure you're putting enough aside, right? Because you are getting gross amounts, so nobody's taking anything out of your check anymore. Did, was so that? Yeah. Well, that was a perfect answer, man. You got. Yeah. You definitely can I, can know. Can I do a stuff. quick follow up, real quick? Yeah. Would Would that also? What is the biggest mistake people make when they're 1099s when it comes to quarterly and all that stuff? If you can go in depth with that. What ends up happening a lot of times, like I said, especially for those you know professionals that are you know first year, second year, third year, ten ninety nine, they're switching over from W two. The biggest mistake they have or that, that they make is that, well, let's start here. They don't record keep. You know, people are like I'm ten ninety nine. I'm good. I'm still going to different offices. I'm not a business owner. And the IRS eyes, you don't have to have an LLC to be to be a business owner. The moment that you engage in a trade or an activity for a profit. You are a business owner, even if it's you doing doing haircuts. You don't need an LLC. The IRS treats you as a business owner. So long story short, they get the tax time. They get that 1099 and it says $200,000. And they're like, yo, I made a lot of money this year. Then they have no records and they didn't do any bookkeeping to see what were their expenses. And so all of the miles that they drove, which you can write off, the home office that they might have had, you know, 
the 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 lab coats, the 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 different things that they needed to go do those jobs, they didn't account for. They mixed it in with their personal accounts. So it come tax time, they're paying taxes on a whole two hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. Which, which if they were just thinking about it throughout the year, you know, even if they hired, just even even if they did it themselves, right? At that point, you as a ten ninety nine, you could probably figure it out. Do doing your books yourself, you might have had, you know, eighty thousand dollars in expenses, right? But because you didn't record keep throughout the year, you have no backup to kind of prove that even if you did do it, you have no evidence, right? It's kind of like guilty until proven innocent uh, almost. Um, and so that, that's what I see a lot of times is, you know, business, uh, 1099 uh, contractors, you know, locum tenants, they don't think of themselves as business owners yet because they don't have a practice sometimes. And they kind of think that they're still an employee in which tax tax time is just totally different. Right. So if you, um, if you are a 1099 and let's say, We've listened to your advice and we're record keeping through the year. Do you have a rule of thumb, depending on your projected income of how much money you should be setting aside every check? Is it 15%, 20%? What do you yeah. think is a good kind of standardized playbook until you you figure out yeah. what's a good number for you? So I always like to say 25%. I mean, that's probably a little bit overkill, but you'd rather overkill it have a little bit left over at the end of the year to, to, to go during Christmas time or, you know, um, because you don't want to, you don't, you don't want to undershoot it. Right. And only withhold, let's say 10%. And now you have to scramble to figure out how you're going to come up with the rest. Um, so there are a few ways for us to calculate that. Um, you know, typically, you know, most CPAs, especially dental CPAs, dental CPAs, they should be giving you some type of tax projection come November. Um, so that you can know what's coming down the road. You know, you don't want to get to January, and realize that you got to come up with 40,000. I've, and I've had those conversations, unfortunately, because people have come just, just extremely late, but they don't have that $40,000 on hand. And now they have to go get a payment plan with the IRS and now interest and penalties and all these unnecessary things that they could have avoided. Um, So 25%, like if you had nothing else to base it off, I like 25%. Obviously, like we said, it just depends, depending on what your income and your tax brackets. But 25%, I think is a good baseline. Okay. Now, are 1099s required to pay quarterly as well, like business owners are, or is that only once you are an LLC? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's shaking his head. Yeah, exactly. So 1099s and the RSIs are, are business owners, right? They are LLCs. LLCs incorpor- incorporated 1099. All these are the, are synonymous for business owners and RSIs. Um, and so, for example, whether you have an LLC or not, you know, whether you just 1099, you still get the same tax benefits as a business owner. So you still have the same tax requirements as a business owner. Um, so long story short, quarterly quarterly tax payments are typically due um, as well um, as, as a 1099 contract, which is you know obviously a misconception out there. So here's the thing. So now we're progressing, right? I'm, I'm still trying to tell a story here. We're progressing. Now we've done so well. We've been excited. We've done 1099. We've traveled. We've done everything. Finally, you tell us you can go get your own dental practice. And we're like, yes, you know, and in Leroy's case, he gets like 10 of them. But we're talking about a normal person, right? (laughs) (laughs) We get we get one and we're happy. When do you jump in? Right. Because if if it was up to us, we would go to the bank and we would get like a million, one point five and be like, cool. Thank you for that check, because the bank is going to give it to us because they realize that the dental practice, the failure rate is very low. When do you come in and say, well, pause, we need to really look to see what you need and what you want. And how yeah. does it, how does an accountant or a CPA kind of guide a dentist through that process? Well, before you answer that, just to make things clear, do you as a prospective buyer choose how much of a loan you want? Or are there is there an equation that dictates how much you can actually qualify for it? Yeah. Okay. So- Typically, banks are going to loan you up to the purchase price of, and we're assuming that you're purchasing a practice, right? Yeah, we'll just do that one. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. right. They're going to loan you typically that purchase price of practice, and then typically some type of working capital. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually do see a lot of dental dental transitions, right? You're typically going to be buying the equipment from from the previous uh, uh, practice owner. Typically, going to be buying buying the patient records. You're typically going to be buying the accounts receivable at, at a percentage. Um, typically, going to be uh, having some type of, um, I don't want to call it non-compete, like it's kind of like a non-compete saying, Hey, you know, old Dennis, you know, you can't, can't come back and try to take all the patients that you just sold me. Right. So you're going to be buying all of these different assets and the bank is going to look at that. You know, you're going to look at your LOI. They're going to look at all of the different documents that you have with that, with that, with, with the prospective seller. 
And they're going to say, okay, let, let's let's take a look at this. And then, on, then they're going to give you, right, working capital on top of that debt price, right? Working capital meaning extra money that you need to pretty much get, get off the road and get going. So they're not just going to be like, okay, you know, Dr. So-and-so needs 2 million, even though the practice is only 1 million and they only need, you know, maybe 45,000 of working capital, right? You can't just, just go and just start, just start. Just make up a number. Exactly. Right. exactly. Yeah. No, it has, to ha- it has to have some type of backing. Yeah. Okay. And now, so- if, if, if you can tell us the difference between if I'm buying a practice from Walt, I may want it allocated as assets. Yep. He may want it allocated as goodwill. Right. And I know that a lot of practice, you know, prospective buyers are going to be hearing that. Which one is, or what are these two and who are they beneficial to? Right. Yeah. Explain that first. And then. Yeah. Man, we, we're going we're gonna to leave here today with a. Uh, <laughs> with a master's. Yeah. Master's, master's. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, we're, we're not going to do that. Yeah. Please go see a proper CPA. We are not yeah. going to. <laughs> don't, don't do anything on your own please we're actually doing all this because it's very complicated as you can hear yeah yeah exactly so um typically the seller is going to want to have as much allocated to goodwill as possible and then the buyer is going to want as little allocated to goodwill as possible and all goodwill trying to just make a, a complex i guess uh thing um simple will be Whenever the seller is selling a dental practice, let's say they're selling it for a million dollars, all of the equipment, you know, patient records, you know, et cetera, accounts receivable, right, from the practice, let's say that's all valued at $400,000. There has to be something else that makes up that $600,000 that's not the assets that you're essentially purchasing. So those are the things that we call goodwill, something that you can explain, right? We like to kind of attach it to maybe, okay, this dentist has built a good reputation in the community and, you know, people know where the office is, you know, they've been around for 30 years. We just call it goodwill. Like it's the amount above the, the all the assets that you're buying. Now, the reason that the seller, or excuse me, the reason that the buyer does not want, you know, as the reason the buyer wants as little as possible to be quote unquote goodwill is because goodwill typically has to be amortized over a 10 year period. So amortization is a pretty much the same thing as depreciation, just for an intangible asset. Intangible assets meaning like copyrights, wills, non-competes, um, goodwill. I think I just said goodwill. Those things that are intangible, but they're still assets that you that you have. Um, so as a buyer, I would like everything to be not goodwill so that I can pretty much write off all everything that I just purchased early. You know, year one, year two, year three, because equipment typically, right? Let's just say we, we can allocate that whole million dollar purchase price to equipment, right? Let's say we value and do some different things. And it's all, that means that equipment now we can depreciate it over five years instead of 10 years if we allocated all the goodwill. And so the opposite is true for the seller um, because, you know, if the seller go ahead and allocate as much as possible to goodwill, right? The um, pretty much their tax consequences or the tax burden of of the transaction will be a little bit more kinder without going into too much right it's like the capital gains rate which is like the favorable rate versus the normal t- anyways like i said no i just want to keep it there just to say right typically you, you do want to have a conversation with your cpa before you purchase the practice to see what that allocation and split will, will be between uh, uh hard assets and then goodwill okay yep okay see and, and again this is why we say Please go see somebody who knows what they're doing. Yeah, I get it. TikTok is nice, and you get little clicks here and there. But some of the stuff that they say, I even even I am like, yeah. what? That doesn't make any sense. Or I'll contact my CPA, and and he's like, no, you can't do that. And I'm like, okay, thank you. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, yeah. I I look stupid, but I'm like, I'm doing it for a reason. I want to make sure people who are younger don't come in and think that they can write off all this stuff. And oh, I bought this cell phone, and I'm writing it off. And I bought new Jordans, and I'm writing that off. You know, <laughs> like you got to be smart. You got to ask the right questions. You know. Um, and, okay, and one, let's keep one, going. Let's go ahead, please. And one thing I just want to throw in there, please. as you. They kind of reminded me, you know, that's why I, I truly believe, right? It's important to have a dental specific CPA, mm. you know, because whenever we're, we're we're talking, it's just like specialties within dentistry. You might you might have a good idea and a good sense of the right answer, but until you've been in that situation enough times, you know, a normal CPA won't really know 
dental practice transition. They, they don't really know the ins and outs of the valuations. You know, what, what do we do as an EBITDA? Are we doing one-time collections? You know, because as a general CPA, just, and I'm gonna give you a quick example. We call revenue, or we call collections revenue, right? And where, you know, in, in practice, in practice, we typically call collections collections and we call revenue typically production, right? It's just different terminology and just different approaches when it, even though it's all the same, I guess formulas, there's different languages and terminology. So dental specific CPA would be able to put it in the terminology and what dentists, dentists know by. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a question and you don't, you may not know this, right? Yeah. But I just kind of talking to people, right? We have corporations and corporations are growing as we, we yeah. speak, right? And there are a lot of people who partner up with corporations, and the funny thing is they always say, oh, well, I use their CPA. Mm. And I, I always think to myself, why would you use their CPA? Because their CPA is going to make sure that they're good financially. Mm -hmm. They're not going to look out for you. They're going to just make sure that the corporation is good, right? So what advice would you give to somebody who partners up with a, a corporation and then says, I'm going to use it? Would you still say, hey, no. Go find your own CPA, especially a dental specific CPA, to look over all the paperwork and everything that. Well, right. Are, are, are CPAs objective or are they like lawyers where they represent clients? OK. Yeah. I, OK. To, to be fair, I think in that situation, accountants are typically a little bit more um, ob objective, meaning that they don't have a dog in a fight because they're it's not it's not a negotiation. OK. It's not a negotiation type of um, um um, relationship. Now, one thing that I would say is, you know, me as a dental professional, why would I go and let's say I'm making 300,000, you know, I'm doing pretty good. Why would I go in now try to get the same CPA of somebody who's, you know, doing a, a 50, a, a 50 office uh, practice, you know, uh, maybe a small DSO, something like that, that's doing, you know, $80 million, right? right? The, the problems that, <laughs> that, that 50 office practice has, and then your $300,000, and it's no not right, but these are just two different strategies and two different um, formations, two different structures, you know, that they would be looking at. Not, so not saying that they wouldn't know how to handle, you know, your your tax situation, but they may not have, I would say, the capacity um, because they may be dealing with these huge, bigger clients to specifically identify you and your pain points. Right. And and, and it might become kind of like you're just another number in the toolbox. You know, versus that 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 CPA that just deals with you know dental professionals that can kind of identify and work with your specific situation. So there's no no knock. I'm sure you know those accounts are still great and and still do a great job. But I guess me as a dental professional, I'll be thinking, will I still get that? I guess concierge level service, uh, even though I'm you know a little bit smaller on the totem pole compared to those big fifty office practices. Okay, but now you know we're, we're at the point where we're buying an office. We went to the bank. We're getting our loan. And I'm going to liken it for anyone that's non-dental that's watching this. It's like you go and you get a car, right? You can get a favorable loan. You can get your 15-year adjustable arm loan on an automobile. You know, like there's outrageous loan structures out there. Yeah. What Can you give us just a, a basic framework for a good, healthy, fair loan that someone should be seeking? Obviously, if they can get better, they, they'll take the better option. But what traps have you seen as far as dental financing um, that a young doc could fall into? So um, it's actually funny enough. I, I've lately been working with a lot of different de dental practice transact uh, transactions. Um, and, and one thing I find is when you, whenever you use the word valuation, it's a fancy word for estimate, right? There's, there's what, what I put on evaluation for, let's just say, I'm coming in and I'm buying this this art this art piece that that's that's in your house in your, in your home office versus what somebody else I might not be an expert this 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 guy might come in and say hey no this is actually worth twenty thousand dollars and me not knowing I'm like this looks like splatter on a wall doesn't live really mean like anything uh, I'll give you two hundred bucks for it so when it comes to valuations valuations are very subjective meaning that um when you go and when you when you purchase a, a dental practice when it comes to that loan. You really make and, and lose your money on the way in. Meaning, if 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 the previous dental uh, practice owner is has their practice listed for a million dollars, don't take that at face value. You know, once you're in the due diligence process and you and you're doing and you're getting more serious about this deal, it may be worth taking it to um, a dental transitions um, expert and saying, "Is this deal really worth a million dollars?" 
Because when you get that million dollar loan, you're paying interest on that, right? You have a big obligation versus, you know, you might come back and they're looking at the previous owner's tax returns. They're looking at their financials and they're saying, it wouldn't make sense to pay more than 800,000 for this, mm-hmm. right? So I haven't found that, you know, banks or anything are, are, are malicious and giving out any sharp loans, anything like of that nature. But I would say when you go in and you overpay, that the loan is bigger, right? And now you just end up getting into a situation where, you know, you couldn't mitigate it if you just had a second opinion and say, what is this practice actually evaluated at, right? And why? And why? Okay. You know, I've actually, in my experience, have found that the banks can often serve the buyer as a filter because the bank has to justify that the amount you're asking for is justified by what you're purchasing. Mm-hmm. So they'll look at the, the the valuations, they'll look at the assets, the tax returns, because they also, they're invested in you actually paying them back over that exactly. five, 10, 15 years. I mean, you still want to have your own CPA, but um, I think what I've been seeing lately is either like initial interest only terms, Right. Which for some people might work, but, you know, like, let's just, let's just stop there. Can you give us uh, an explanation of what an interest only term is and why it might be good and why it might be bad? So from, from, from my understanding, right, right. When it comes to any type of loan, you're going to have those two pieces, right. Interest principle. Um, Whenever you're talking about a loan, you're typically. So I always call, I always call interest the cost of borrowing that amount right the cost of borrowing meaning that if you're paying interest you're paying interest paying interest that principle of balance is not changing meaning you're not technically even paying down your loan you're really just paying the cost of having the loan you're not you're not really decreasing the 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 value of the loan itself um you know so in certain situations right if if that is the case um you you really just you you really just I would say just just running running in place, right? You you're not really making any progress towards you know that 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 principal balance. Now on the flip side, I've honestly seen some, especially when you talk about dental specific banks, um, I've actually seen to where they just they do they 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 will allow you to pay principal for a certain amount, so they'll actually forego interest for a certain amount to where you know th- those first few payments can just be you know you get down that balance. So, you know, when it comes to banks and obviously I'm not on, on the finance, your CPA, you know, may have to call on your banker to discuss some of these things, um, but different banks have have different, you know, um, I would say rule of thumbs around their, their philosophy with, with with lending. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's wrap it up here um, by kind of getting your overall thesis for a dentist, right? I mean, good or bad, and, and hopefully it's good, but <laughs> after working with us for so long, what are, are the biggest mistakes that we make? As, as you know, uh, coming to you, right? If it's bankruptcy, if it's overestimating what we can do with our money, whatever it may be, what are some of the issues that you've noticed and what are some of the things that we need to do better with? If I was to put it in one sentence, trying to out-earn the problems. <laughs> um, I'll, I always say um, money doesn't solve money money problems. Hmm. Um, you know, and, and you know, I, I deal with clients where they're, they're, making, they're making a lot of income per year but they're falling behind on their debt. You know, they're falling behind on their tax obligations. They're falling behind on, and and, and it's like, I want to keep making more to keep servicing these problems. Um, but in reality, right, it's like, it's like you're never really stopping and bleeding. You're you're really just putting a bandaid over, over the bullet wound. Um, and you're just, you're just delaying the, the honestly inevitable. Um, so that'd be number one, right? That you know, you, you, you really want to put things into place to where you're not just trying to make more. Sometimes it's about keeping more. Um, and those, those are equally as good strategies. Um, so that I, I would say that's, that's probably the number one thing. And then the number two thing, you know, you know, I think, you know, when it comes to finances, right. And especially, you know, for, you know, obviously dentists, right. Go to undergrad. Some of them do something after undergrad, they go four more years, maybe they specialize, right. They get all these years of, you know, education, which is great. Um, but honestly, throughout those years, you don't really learn too much about how to you know navigate the financial part. You know, so it's one of those things, whereas, you know, don't don't think that it makes you less of a professional to say, hey, let me go talk to somebody about, you know, th- this part of my finances. Right. It doesn't make you any less smart. It doesn't make you any m- less of, of, of a doctor. Because at the end of the day, if Elon Musk and Donald Trump and all these guys have, have accounts and these are you know, guys that are making millions of times of, of what, you know, you know, ad- the average person is making. If, if they if they have, you know, teams of, of accountants, why can't you have a CPA on your side? So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. That's that's a good point. I did I did have one last question on my end, man, is because I know we we talked about generational wealth yeah. and 
before we started recording. How is it that let's say I buy an office, I invest all these years and, you know, it's, it's profitable. I make money. It's, it's worth something by the time, you know, I'm ready to retire. If none of my kids are dentists and uh-huh. can take this over, can you explain or tie in how that can still be generational wealth? If what I have to do is sell this to someone else. Um, and, you know, because a lot of times these terms are, make it sound like, oh, well, yeah, it's generational. You pass it down to your kids. But in most states, you can't own a dental office if you're not a licensed dentist, right? So how can we transition what we own as a dental office to actually be or to be considered generational wealth? Yeah, exactly. So so to your point, you know, over your 30, 35-year career, you know, you spent building this essential, you know, asset, right? It's giving, it's giving you income each year, but ultimately, right, you're, you're building patient lists. Ultimately, you're, you're building a good rapport in the community. You know, you've, you're buying this dental equipment. So you have this, this physical bundle of money, essentially, that we call an asset, right? It just, it's just in a different form of, of cash, right? You're, that equipment or that goodwill just in a different form of cash. But you have that when it's all said and done, you're ready to exit, you're ready to retire. So not only, you know, could you go and sell that, but, you know, what you can also do is pretty much figure out ways that you can roll that over into other generation generational assets, right? Because just because you're out of dentistry and you have this lump sum of a million dollars doesn't mean that your you know, generational wealth journey ends, right? There are all ways that you can roll that into, you know, maybe uh, um, um, different accounts for your, for, for your kids, you know, and that, that's more so going down to finance end. but, you know, there, there, there's a lot of strategy when, when it, when it comes to that, you know, and uh, when, when it comes to the end of your, 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 your practice days, man. Okay. Can you please, please, please tell us how do we get a hold of you? If anybody's interested in having your services, they don't necessarily have to be in, in uh, North Carolina, correct? No. So we, 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 we do service clients 50, 50 states virtually. Perfect. So how do they get a hold of you? How did they get your services? How do they ask you questions? If we haven't gotten, if we didn't ask enough questions and they still have something, how do they get a hold of you, please? Yeah. So the best place is uh, Instagram, Kingsley Effetti, just, just like my name. Um, I keep it really simple. And also LinkedIn, I'm really, I'm really active on Um, same thing, Kingsley Effetti. Um, now, if you would, if you really want to get really extravagant with it, you can always find us, you know, every, every Tuesday um, with the Generational Dental Wealth podcast as well. Um, and we do sometimes some episodes, we do take live questions as well, um, in which we, we we do try to, you know, hear hear from what people are thinking. Um, so either of those three, three avenues will, will, you know, works for me. That's awesome. That is awesome. I'll tell you Sorry. what, man, we've all been blessed with your yes. knowledge and expertise. And if nothing else, even if no one's going to walk away remembering every single detail of what we yeah. spoke about, to at least walk away knowing that, hey, when you start making money, get mm-hmm. a money expert, get a numbers expert on your team um, to protect you, sometimes from yourself, um, and the money that you're going to be making. So it can be generational and it's not burning holes in your pocket. Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. Man. Well, thank you, sir. Really appreciate your time. Honestly, this has been awesome. Uh, you've helped. I, I I can guarantee you've helped a lot of people. And you yeah. basically put some knowledge into people that maybe Instagram did not do or TikTok or whatever. Maybe this is real information, people. I just want to let everybody know that. Yes. So really appreciate you, brother. Yes, yes, sir. Thank you all. Yes, sir. All right. Take care, man. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tooth Be Told. The opinions on this episode are just that, our opinions. Please consult your dental professional before taking any action with your dental health. If you have any questions about anything you heard on this episode, please contact us at Real Dentist with an S. That's R-E-A-L, Dentist with an S, at gmail.com. We would be very happy to return any message that we receive because we love the communication that we have with our listeners.